Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Verses, but I'll, I'll just select some of the key verses, okay? So John 12, 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. That's a hardening heart, a hard heart. Verse 38, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, for this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, Verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Verse 42, by the way, it's in the New International Version, if you are following in your Bibles. Verse 42, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Verse 48, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Now, these verses that I've just read, kind of selectively, the last half of John chapter 12, they occur during the last week of the life of Jesus. From, from John chapter 13 onwards, Jesus is now giving his time almost exclusively to speaking to his 12 disciples about me leaving and the Holy Spirit coming and, and so on. So um, there is more than a tinge of sadness in John the Apostle's words, even as he wrote these words. Uh, there is almost like pathos in his words because he says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs, they still would not believe. John was saddened, and, but then he remembers. He remembers a prophecy in Isaiah. He says, ah, but this is really to uphold the word of God. This is to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Do you know, John says, do you know how sad this is? And this is why he's saying it's sad. John 12, 48, he quotes Jesus speaking. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. 
the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. How sad, John says, there's catastrophe coming. There is misery, condemnation. And yet, people, in fact, the majority of people, there's a, there's a lot of talk these days about the end time revival and blah, blah, blah. Do you know? There is going to be a lot, 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 lot more people who are destined for destruction than who are destined to go through the narrow gate. It's going to be a lot, 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 lot more. And John says, this is how sad. So at the close of Jesus' public ministry, this is the close of his public ministry, because from John 13 onwards, it'll be private ministry with his 12. At the end of this public ministry, he's talking about the hardening of the human heart against God's revealed will. And, you know, we... We read verses like this and we say, we think to ourselves, this happened so long ago. This is history. And because we, we're so far removed in time that we feel we're removed from its reality. But really, the reality of a hardening heart is very much with us today. Very much so. Not just with the unbeliever but with the believer as well. So, what is, we're going to consider a few things. Firstly, what is one big, unique characteristic of a hardened heart? We're going to consider that. Then we're going to consider what are some things that trigger hardness of heart? What triggers hardness of heart in us? And then, we're going to explore what is one big lesson for the unbeliever. Lastly, we're going to talk about three lessons for believers. Is that okay? Yeah, okay. Thank you for your approval. Where were we? Yeah, the unique, so number one, the unique characteristic of a hardened heart. You know, there's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I'm not sure if this is real. I'm not sure. But man, I want to believe. I really wish I can believe. I, but I'm not sure. That's doubt. I want to. But unbelief says, despite compelling evidence, I will not believe. That's unbelief. I willfully reject Whatever's been offered to me, despite the evidence that's held out in front of me. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. You know, the word signs is incredible. Only John the Apostle uses this in his gospel. The word signs really means the signs serve to authenticate God's messenger. In other words, John is saying, Jesus performed this miracle and that miracle and this miracle, the feeding of this and the raising of that dead. All these point to a certain message that God is behind this messenger. Believe him for the way of salvation. That's the meaning of science. So John is saying, how very dreadful and sad that despite Signs, not miracles, 
because people can do miracles that are not godly, but despite signs, people still would not believe. The thing about unbelief and a hard heart and rejecting Christ is this. Each time a person rejects Jesus, it makes it easier for that person to reject Jesus the next time. Each time you reject Christ, it's easy. Your hearing gets dull. Your obeying gets dim. This is proven. Look, look, at, look at the Bible, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 21. The Bible tells us this. They neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. But, it, but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Whenever you find the word darkened in regards to heart in the New Testament, it's synonymous with hardened. These two terms, a hardened heart and a darkened heart, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So the Bible is saying, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him, but they are in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were hardened. And so God gave them over to further hardening. And then we go down to verse 25, Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped created things rather than the Creator. And therefore, God gave them over. Hardening, more hardening. It's almost like God is saying, you're still rejecting willfully despite the compelling evidence. Well, have your way. Keep on going. Here's another verse, verse 28. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over. Three times recorded at least three times in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over because that's the hardening process. You know, what's this one characteristic of a hardening heart? It is this. It is a downward spiraling thing that makes a person say, I would not to I could not. You keep saying, I will not change. I would not change, despite all the compelling words and evidence. In the end, there comes a time when the heart is hardened enough. I want to, but you cannot. You could not. There is a downward spiral. So that's the first characteristic of a hardening heart. Secondly, we're going to consider the hard heart triggers. What, what triggers a hardening heart? What triggers a hardening heart? Well, I've got three, but let me name them one by one. Number one, a wrong assessment of our real need. A wrong assessment of our real need triggers hardening of the heart. Man's desire to attain righteousness on their own merit on their own merit features high, very high in our mind, in our mindset. We want to save ourselves. We don't need a savior. That's, that's what, why? So that we can boast. I saved myself. So 
that's, that triggers a hardening of the heart. I don't need a savior. A wrong assessment of our real need. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, the Jews pursued the way of salvation, but they missed it. Why? Well, in Romans 9, 32, Romans 9, 32, he gives the reason. Why? Or why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. A wrong assessment of our real need. Our real need, we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. Here's the second thing that triggers unbelief and a hardening of the heart. A wrong response to trials and trouble. John 12, 42. They would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, being put out of the synagogue is a big thing for a Jew. It's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. This form of, there's a, this harsh form of excommunication involves being ostracized from the Jewish community. No, no meeting up with your family. No meeting up with friends and so on. And the, the one excommunicated will be issued a curse. And people would be banned. This is the Jewish community. People would be banned from selling anything to the one who is being excommunicated. And this is for life. This is forever. So this feature is huge, big, in a, in a Jew's mind. Many of these leaders had examined the evidence. They had, they had looked. And, yeah, this is the Messiah. Look at the signs. Look at the Old Testament prophecies. This is the one. But for fear of being put out of the synagogue, they will not declare openly. They will not acknowledge openly that they are now believers. Trouble. They were concerned more for their present welfare than for standing up for what's right. Present comfort. Don't give me trouble. Don't, don't trouble me. Not even inconvenience. I cannot take, I just want a life of comfort. Haven't you heard of that? In suburbia, I, I just want quietness and comfort and stop disturbing me. A wrong response to trials and trouble and a concern for this present life and the enjoyments that accompany Having a comfortable life today is a reason for hardening our hearts. You know, some 30 years, 30 years after the death of Jesus, after these words were written in John chapter 12, the author, the unknown author to the book of Hebrews, who wrote the book of Hebrews to the Hebrews, who were spread all over, said this, he said, you are thinking of abandoning Jesus because of impending persecution and so on. Say no. Don't do it. And this is what he said to them. He wrote to them to encourage them. Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8. Endure hardship as discipline. Oh, all troubles are discipline. 
Don't ever buy into the thing, God never sends diseases to me. It's a lie. Let me explain later. Endure hardship, whatever hardship it is. Sickness, finance, relationships. Some are due to our own stupidity. Yeah, that's fine. But all of these are forms of discipline by the Heavenly Father. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Which children? Which of you has, have never been disciplined by your father? Don't raise your hands yet. If you're not disciplined, and the Bible says, and everyone undergoes discipline. So if you raise your hand, you are contradicting the Bible. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're illegitimate children. That's what he's saying. So trials and troubles are God's method of disciplining us. It is. Some say God is good. He will never send trouble our way. That is lopsided theology at best. Trials prove we are his children. It is simply because of this. God loves us that he sends trials and troubles. If he doesn't love us, he doesn't need trials and troubles sent our way. It is an inescapable fact, troubles in life. Job says this, shall we not accept good only? Shall we just accept good only and not evil? Job said this, and he was suffering under sickness, a skin disease that broke out all over. So that's enough to say to those people who say, God never sends sickness. All right, enough. All of us are affected by troubles and betrayals and put-downs and setbacks and broken promises. And some people struggle more than others. Some people struggle badly. As a defense mechanism, we, we create a hard shell around our heart. We make our heart, heart hard. Sorry, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah. We make our hearts hard by being self-defensive. And what are some of these things that we go through? Unforgiveness, self-pity, prolonged grief. We just do not want to come out from that shell to protect ourselves. But do you know when we build that hard shell, we also prevent the love of God coming through. There is more love in the heart of Christ than there is self-pity in your heart. There is more compassion in Christ's heart than there is anger and grief and, and bitterness in your heart. That's the God He is. You know, when we rehearse all the self-pity and the... It's like, it's like driving a car but looking at the rear view mirror and going at high speed. We keep looking behind. Who hurt me? Who broke my heart? Who, who did this? Who did that? Self-pity, self-pity, and morose, and grief. It's like we're spending a lot of our time looking back to dig up the boulders, the rocks of self-pity, the rock of grief, the rock of anger and bitterness, and placing them in front of our road, because that's what we're doing. We, that consumes our 
our sight, our time. We, we keep looking at these. Have you ever tried driving your car, looking at the rearview mirror for further rocks, for more rocks of self-pity and rejection and hurt and, 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 and not getting destroyed? It's destructive driving that way, and that's, that's what happens. God chastens us through trouble so that we become more patient, more loving, more compassionate, more kind, more resilient, more of everything so that we become more like Jesus at the end. You know, we, we want comfort now. Now the present is more important than the future. Well, God is saying the future, that priceless, that priceless person that you would become, that's more important to me than your animal instinct for comfort. That's what, that's what God is saying. So say no to a hard heart. Say no to it. Open up your heart. Forgive. Forgive everyone, including yourself. And God, not that God needs your forgiveness. Don't harden your heart. Love God. Love others. That's how you soften your heart because you are being molded. He is the potter. You are the clay. And, and you'll end up being the priceless person you'll be because we will be disappointed in trials. We may be destabilized but we need not be discouraged because God, you know, will only send the trouble if it's only for our good, if it's for our good. He won't if it is not for our good. So that's the second trigger, a wrong response to trials. Here's the third one. Number three, what is a trigger that triggers a hard heart? A wrong response to temptation. John 12, 46, Jesus is speaking here, and this is probably the la one of the, the last, last public words recorded by John that, that Jesus would speak publicly. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Here you go again. He's, John the Apostle is reinforcing this thing about a hardening heart. Even Jesus himself is talking about darkness. And darkness of heart is always linked with hardness of heart, the hard heart. John 12, 42. John says, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be Put out of the synagogue. 43, verse 43. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Oh, the opinion of others proved to be more valuable to these Jewish leaders who believed than the opinion of God. They were tempted to look good before people. See how good I am? Rather than looking good before God. Temptation. They loved another world. Desiring. Desiring to look good before people 
rather than desiring to look good before God. Desire is a neutral term. There's nothing wrong with desire. In fact, desires are good. Desires are God-given um, God-given um, things to fulfill our good appetites. You know, I desire food. I'm hungry. That, that's good. But, you know, at the fall in the Garden of Eden, our desires were perverted. And so now, instead of having normal desires, we have abnormal, ungodly, sinful desires as well. Let me give you an example of a normal good desire. Even Jesus had that desire. Luke chapter 22, he says this to his disciples. I have eagerly desired to eat Passover with you. That's, that's not ungodly. That's good. That's a good desire. I have eagerly desired to have Passover with you. But then, as we said, our desires were corrupted due to the fall. And this is what happened. Quoting from John 8. 42, Jesus debating with the Pharisees, he said this, you belong to your father, the devil. Abraham's not your father. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, that's the corrupted, perverted desire. And we, we've, all been, we've all been laden with that corrupted sin nature. All of us, every single one of us, the toddler at birth, even at birth, from birth, the toddler knows how to retaliate without you teaching him or her when his toys are stolen. Oh, they do. Trust me. We've seen it. The toddler grows up, becomes a teenager, and I've seen this. The teenager fights with his father. I've seen and I've heard different occasions, knives are drawn. That teenager, when the teenager grows into full manhood, now he desires vengeance. He desires every immoral desire that he can satisfy. He desires to be number one in the world. That's perverted desires. And this is confirmed, James chapter 1, 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So, should you and I, because we've got this sinful tendency, should we just simply put our hands up and say, all right, desire, take over. I give up. I can't. I cannot control myself. Do we just do that? Do we do that? Well, if you ask the Apostle Paul, he said, no. The God-man, the Lord Jesus, died for us. He lived the perfect life on earth for you and me. Now, with him in control, we're under new management. We can control our sinful desires. Look at this. Look at this. Philippians chapter 1.23. Look at this verse. Paul says, look, to be or not to be. He's saying, should I depart from this world or should I go to the next world? Uh, I love being with you guys, but I love Jesus better. Look at this. Philippians 1, 23. I am torn between the two. 
I desire, there you go, the word again, I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far. But then he says, but I'll stay. Notice he's exerting control over his desire. He's saying, my desire to go to be with the Lord is far superior than staying behind. But having thought it over, mulled it over, I'll control my desire. I'll stay. If Paul can do that, there's nothing stopping us from doing that as well. He's got the same Holy Spirit indwelling. We've got the same Holy Spirit indwelling us as the Spirit indwelled him. So, you know, obeying evil desires and being enticed leads to a hardened heart. That's another trigger. It does. It creates a crust which would add on more hardness and hardness around our heart. And you remember we said the characteristic of a hardened heart? Would not, could not in the end. And that's what happens to addicts. They would not, would not, they enjoy, the, and they would not, would not, and then in the end they could not. They cannot change without supernatural intervention. We say, oh, it's only a small thing. It's okay. Everybody does this. It's all right, you know. Taking something, taking something small that doesn't belong to you makes you a thief. It does. Telling a little lie makes you a liar. It does. It does. Nobody suddenly wakes up in the morning and say, I have decided I will divorce my spouse today. Or I have decided I will commit fraud today. Nobody does that. That major decision had been made Little by little, a long time ago, by a thought, by a little intention, some little feeling here, and giving in to that feeling. And so, little by little, that heart hardens and hardens and hardens. And so, big sins occur because we're not careful with little sins. We nurture and we allow the little ones to germinate before the big decision is made. We mentioned 30 years before that the Jewish people were thinking of abandoning Christ and going back to the old mosaic system of keeping the law because of impending persecution. The author who wrote to them wrote this in chapter 3, verse 13. If you're taking notes, that is... But encourage one another, he says. He says, don't harden your heart. Stop hardening your heart. But encourage one another every day as long as, as it is called today. So that none of you, none of you may be deceived by the hardening of sin's deceitfulness. There you go again. He said, what is the remedy for a hardening heart here? He's saying this, encourage. Therefore, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today. That word encourage really is to a little bit tame. 
the translators. In the original, it really means exhort. It means call something out in someone's life. It really means urge, and I plead with you. There is a correction that needs to be made. That, that's the meaning. Correct yourself. That, that's what it means. And that's God's appointed way for the church to, in, the, in the Christian community to, to grow, to be strong, each one exhorting the other. But being careful ourselves, lest ourselves be tempted as well. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs about correcting, but I'll just read one verse from the book of Proverbs. Look, Proverbs 15.32. 15.32, Proverbs. Those who disregard discipline, which is correction, those who disregard correction despise themselves. So don't despise yourself. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. That's a wise man. That's a wise woman who heeds correction. Even Psalms 141 verse 5 tells us this. Let a righteous man strike me, for that is kindness to me. Striking me with correction, that is kindness. If you really love me, correct me. That's what he's saying. Let a wise, let a righteous man strike me, that is kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. It's wonderful. We need to listen to the correction of one another. So we come lastly to the third thing we're going to talk about this morning. What is one big lesson for the unbeliever? If you're still holding out, you're still not believing in the Lord, I urge you. I plead with you, open your heart to the Lord. This is the big lesson to you, for you. Say no to a hard heart. Say no. You can do it. Say no before it's too late because the stakes are too high. Ultimately, the consequence of hardening your heart is horrendous. There's no turning back. Those of you who've been to the Niagara Falls near New York, beautiful place. A pastor was there once, and notice this is spring, so the, the falls were f frozen over, but it's never fully frozen. There's still water flowing beneath, so uh, still water flowing beneath, just on top, the surface, there's some ice here and there. So a pastor was there years and years ago and noticed a lot of birds, and there, there, there are a lot of birds there, a lot of birds flying and they were pecking on some blocks of ice. And he was wondering, what are the birds doing? And he drew nearer and he noticed there's frozen fish, frozen fish in the ice. And the birds were trying to get the fish out so that they could chomp on the fish. And they would, they're clever, these birds. Just before the edge of the falls, they would then spread their wings out and the wind would take them flying off, and they would come back again, float on the ice, and float off again. So this cycle repeats itself. Meanwhile, chipping, chipping away. But one bird he noticed, that bird, very cavalier, a risk taker. And that bird would s 
stuck on to the ice, really chipping, chipping, chipping. And even when the ice was about to fall, he was still staying there. And then only he would let go to fly off. So he took his chance right at the razor edge. And he noticed he would not, and then he could not. Because one final time came, he was on the ice, chipping, 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 and he said, I did it the last time. I could, I could still pull this off. His, the bird's feet got stuck in the frozen ice, got frozen in, and that bird plummeted to its death with the ice. So, big lesson, if you are an unbeliever, I urge you, as so many people have become believers, open your heart, soften your heart, let him in. The Lord Jesus, he died for you. Three lessons for believers today. Three lessons. Number one, rejoice in trials. James says, welcome trials as good friends. Seriously, it's hard, I know. Can I tell one more story? En route to the church this morning, Becky was sharing with me something she read, so I'll just insert it in here. Rejoice in trials. Don't, don't grumble and say, oh, poor me. And, you know, two little kids, two little kids were naughty, up to mischief all the time. And their mother said to the local pastor, these two boys of mine, naughty, 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 up to no good all the time. Can you do something with them? Sure. The two kids went to see the pastor. The pastor thought for a while, I'll go and do this. He, sorry, he took one. He took one, one by one. He took the first one in. He said, where is God? In a serious tone to a little kid, where is God? The kid had no answer. He didn't reply. The pastor spoke louder now. Where is God? He was bamboozled. He didn't know what to answer. And now the pastor, for a third time, now he raised it real high. I won't do it, but really high up, okay? Where is God? Really high, booming voice like thunder. Little boy, in terror, fled the church and ran home as fast as he could, locked himself in a, in a closet, and bang himself shut. His brother came. What's happening? He opened the door. We're in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. They've lost God. And they think we did it. Thank you, Becky. When we go through trials... It's not we think we did it. We actually did it to ourselves. We've lost God. We've kept him out of the picture. We've, we've put it, pushed him right to the back, and then we drag all the rocks and boulders from behind us. Self-pity, anger, bitterness, what have you. And we place them in front, and we're looking at the rear view mirror, and we're still driving. No wonder we bring destruction to our own lives. No wonder. So rejoice in trials. God will only send the trouble 
because he knows it'll do you good. And because he loves you. He loves you. There is more love in the heart of God. I'll repeat this. There's more love in the heart of God than there is bitterness in your own heart. Then there is worry in your own heart. Then there is anxiety in your own heart. There is much, much more love of God. Therefore, therefore, don't lose God in the midst of your troubles. Second lesson, resist temptation. You are and I were beset with this human degenerated nature that loves to sin. But, but we can control evil desires like Paul. We can. We can. So resist temptation. Number three, listen to the encouragement and correction of others. Listen to them. You'll be wise. You'll gain, a, you'll gain understanding. How many say yes and amen? Yes? Yes. Amen. Good. We're going to pray. Thank you for your patience. I know it's trouble, but thank you. Can you rise to your feet and have a prayer for us? Please. You know, the entire big idea the entire big idea of this book, the book of books, is this. We can change. That, that's the big idea. Because we've got a new nature. We've got the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We can change. That thing about, oh, I'm clothed with this sinful nature. Here I go. I won't change. That's a lie. The central theme of this book, I can change. So I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us. Be strong in the Lord. I can change. Lord, I want to pray for all of us and thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word will never come back to you void, but it'll, it'll perform the work that you have sent it out for. And so, Lord, come into my heart and do a work. Come into every heart that is assembled the, the assembly here, Lord, and do your work. And for those who are listening online, whatever their situation, Lord, do your work in, in their lives, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, when troubles come, help us. Help us to keep Christ front and center. When, when temptations rear their ugly head, Lord, help us also keep you front and center. We can do it. We can overcome our desires. Lord, so help us, not just this week, but from here on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.